Where did Jesus' apostles come from? What was Peter doing, or what was Matthew doing before the Savior arrived on earth and in their towns and called them to leave their jobs and follow him? Moreover, how much can Christians ask these kinds of speculative questions, or even create movies or a whole streaming drama series to explore these speculations? That's what we will explore, especially about the fantastical biblical drama series The Chosen today. This is Fantastical Truth, the podcast from Lorehaven. Welcome back. I am E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven. And on this podcast, we find the best of Christian fantasy and we apply the beauties, the truths, the goodness of these stories to the real world that our creator and savior, Jesus Christ, has called us to serve. And I am Zechariah, son of Zebedee, like one of the fishermen in Capernaum, or you can just call me Zach. Welcome to Fantastical Truth. This is episode 28 how should Christians discern the chosen and other biblical fiction? Zach, have you seen the chosen? That's why I keep asking people is like, have you heard about Jesus? Do you want to know him? He's the only way, the truth and the life. And oh, by the way, have you heard about the chosen? I have to be really careful not to equate the two lately. <laughs> yes, uh, we watched it with our whole family. We used the app and then, you know, airplayed it to the TV. So it, it was wonderful. In fact, I'm just going to go ahead and make a statement right now that the chosen is the best biblical fiction next to the passion, maybe even better. I think it's better. I think it's definitely better. For one thing, it's a little bit more of a fuller picture of the life of Jesus Christ, a few more emotions than the suffering and the torture uh, and the grief and all of that stuff. Uh, some people unfairly criticize the passion of the Christ. Oh, it's torture porn, you know, one critic said, or several critics say, like, no, no, I didn't see it that way. As an as a excerpt from the life of Jesus, it was pretty darn good but I definitely prefer The Chosen, and it's definitely a bit more suitable for family viewing. Did, did you all see it? Because some parts are pretty rough. Yes. I mean, it's not a G-rated show, and I'd say it's more you know on the, on the PGN, but there's some intense stuff in there. All right, so I'm going to tell you a funny story here. When our oldest daughter was just a baby, we had a friend of ours that worked on our ministry team babysit her, and we got home, and Sarah says, well, your daughter did great. She just cried at one point when I was watching The Passion. <laughs> We're like, what? Oh. You're watching The Passion? And she's like, it's okay. Was, was it the she, part she where the little it. bone uh, bits <laughs> flew off of the cat of nine tails? Or right. What? And, yeah. And she's like, oh, she only cried during the crucifixion. I'm like, that's half the movie, Sarah. And it's oh, rated my. R. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. I've only seen it once. It's the kind of movie, like as a Christian, especially if you're in 2004 and the hype was in full, full gear. Uh, you could but watch it once and then, okay, I, I was good. Like I saw it like a good Christian. I supported it, you know, but it was good. It, it was a good movie. Anyway, we're going to sound like we are here just to shill for The Chosen, which is a biblical drama streaming series that you can watch for free. But even when I say you can watch for free, it's going to sound like we're, we're on, the, on the dole or something. No, we're just enthusiastic about this story like any other fantastical story. Uh, and of course, someone may say, wait a minute, there's no dragons, there's no spaceships, uh, aren't you all a little off brand? I would suggest we're actually totally on brand, because if we're not talking about the Bible as the zenith, the top of fantastical literature, even if it's not fantastical fiction, then we are ignoring a big part of what we do for the biblical gospel part of fantastical truth. The Chosen is an eight-episode series. Actually, it's just eight episodes in that first season, uh, which is released uh, not on network TV, not on your Netflix, You know, probably not something you're already paying for, but you can still get it for free 
It's from creator Dallas Jenkins, and it explores in biblical fiction form, very important to get that genre right, what was the life of Christ like through the eyes of his followers, the people who knew him best? Uh, the reason why we're talking about it now, I mean, it's been out for a while, but just within the past few weeks as we're recording this, they finally announced, okay, guys, we're going to go for season two. We're going to try to film that in the fall and then debut that season by Easter 2021. So need to pray for those folks. A lot of great creatives and great Christians as well who are making this show among the actors and the creators. And I'm not sure how they're going to do it with the pandemic, but Lord willing, they will actually be able to do it. You can get The Chosen at actually thechosen.tv. They've given it its own app, so you can actually watch the series free on your device or uh, beam it to your TV. Like I think, Zach, we use the um, whatever it is, the Chromecast device or something just to shuttle it over from our phone. And yet uh, this past Christmas, the Burnettes got chosen uh, Blu-rays galore. Uh, we're, we're all big fans of that series. But you don't have to buy the Blu-ray, but you should, though, in order to help support it. And they got merch and all that stuff. And the reason why others are able to watch it free on the app is because other supporters have paid, you know, donated for you to be able to do so. Zach, I think we're both part of at least one uh, chosen fan group on the Facebook. It is wonderful to yep. see this fandom be born. Like, usually when I catch up to a fandom, it's it's already been at least partially formed from the embryonic, <laughs> from the primordial sludge of the internet. Uh, but I, I've got to see this one form. Like people are surprised by their own reactions. I literally, for example, saw one person say, "Hey, I wonder what would happen if uh, you know, this happened with Matthew here." And like he, uh, whatever they were speculating that Matthew tries to tell the apostles apart uh, based on their outfits, and what happens if they change clothes. And then someone else came along and said to that person, "Oh, yeah, you should write a fan fiction about that." I mean, you basically already have. And the first person said, "What is that?" So you can just imagine she just got this superpower and is looking at her, you know, sparks coming from her fingertips and go, what is happening to me? I'm in a fandom and now I want to write <laughs> fan fiction and I don't even know what to call these things. There's so many questions and challenges that uh, newfound chosen fans have. And it just it made me want to do this episode because uh, although I mean, there's a lot of areas we could go with this and maybe we'll do some of those in the future. But there's some frequently asked questions people have, like, what is biblical fiction? Is this inspired? You know, if not, then what do I do with all of these feelings if I find this story that's just so amazing, you know, and I feel like I only have this spiritual language to describe this experience. This uh, this will be a really great, uh, really great discussion, I'm sure. Now, if you're not familiar with the director of the show, his name is Dallas Jenkins. And yes, it's he is the son of Jerry Jenkins. If that's what you're thinking in your mind. And uh, Jerry Jenkins actually has this really funny quote that's uh, kind of a uh, endorsement of the show. He says, finally, my son does something worth watching, which is great. So yeah, th this show is, it really took me by surprise, Stephen. So I've been involved with video and film for a long time now, and I am very familiar with what makes good and bad television and movies. And man, I, I've seen my fair share of both when it comes to the, the Christian biblical genre. And every few years when a new Christian movie comes out that I like, I, I always have to kind of qualify it. And I, and I notice this is a trend. A lot of people do this like, oh, trust me, this one is good. Trust me, this time it's going to be good. I started hearing other people say that about The Chosen. That's what got me interested. I'm like, okay, my filmmaker friends are saying this is good. You know, my snarky, critical filmmaker friends are telling me this is good, that it's almost like they didn't want to like it, but then they were surprised by how much they liked it. 
So this wasn't, you know, Aunt Marge from your church who is saying, you know, with all due respect and uh, Christ's blessings uh, to Aunt Marge, <laughs> who wants to support every Christian movie who comes out and who's a big fan of Hallmark and those things. It wasn't her coming along saying, oh, it just gave me so much hope. It's so inspirational. You know, you have to support it so we can send a message to Hollywood. Uh, this wasn't Aunt Marge saying The Chosen was good. It was the people who say, Christian movies are terrible, who were giving this one a second look right. and realizing, wow, like this is actually good. In my case, I first heard, I mean, I think I'd heard uh, about The Chosen here and there, but my first exposure to it was actually Dallas Jenkins, the creator of the show, had done a podcast interview with Kevin McCreary, who runs a YouTube channel called Say Goodnight Kevin. And uh, Kevin occasionally also does podcasts. And Kevin is the guy who roasts Christian movies. Like, I, yeah. I with very few exceptions, I love his Christian movie roasts and his other movie roasts. Like, <laughs> he's not bad natured about it, like other YouTube critics. I mean, but okay, okay, occasionally he is. But what's interesting is he will actually go back sometimes, even for uh, the directors of the, uh, the Sherwood Pictures uh, movies, and he'll say, okay, I think I went a bit too far with this one. And he will talk with these directors and sometimes they'll agree with them. Like, yeah, that was kind of cheesy, but they, <laughs> they understand their audience and he understands their audience too. And they actually tend to get along, but Kevin interviewed Dallas Jenkins and it was just, it was a great interview. And I, I really loved a lot of what Jenkins had to say about his approach to creativity, but particularly his approach to the church and not being so annoyed by those uh, saccharine Christians, you know, Aunt Marge or whoever it is who only wants to support the safe G-rated movies. He doesn't hate those people. He doesn't have a chip on his shoulder, and he could explain why. And I could go on at that with length, but uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, um, it's a very trustworthy series, I would say, uh, coming from a creative team that wants to be creative and imaginative, but has the highest of fidelity that they can uh, to the word of God, which is still all sufficient. And yet it's great to speculate on some of the details of what happened, for example, to the apostles before Jesus got into their lives. Well, and you said a really key word there, support. So that's what I noticed is that no one was saying, oh, you need to support this film. It's so, it's so, it's so important yeah, I call I call that the support zombie uh, play. Yeah, they kind of get it's a thing that Christians catch. Are like, oh, oh, uh, the good people made a good thing, and we must support. Yeah, again, all due respect and blessings. Not trying to be too snarky here. <laughs> well, the other you know word I always look out for is important. This is such a important important film. Yes, or so TV eat your show. peas. It's important. It'll help you yeah. grow. Right. And I, and by the way, listener, you know, th this is not my pet peeve with just Christian films. This is my pet peeve with all films and books and stories. Whenever someone declares something is important, well, then I know what they actually mean is that this is pushing some agenda or, you know, broadcasting some message. And it's probably going to be really on the nose. It's going to be really overt and, you know, break the fourth wall and just be preachy about what, whatever it is. And it doesn't even have to be a, a, like I said, it doesn't have to be a Christian film, but yeah, Stephen, I, I noticed none of that with this. What the, the word I noticed over and over again that convinced me to watch it was enjoy. Like you are going to enjoy this. What? And I was like, yeah. Enjoy, like not and then it, out of duty, but out of <laughs> passion and yeah. naturally occurring enthusiasm. What a concept. <laughs> Yeah, and then and even just the format of how we got to watch this. So I, I went to their website, and I'm like, okay, I can get the Blu-ray, but we only have that in one room in our house. And um, 
you know, how can I watch this digitally? Cause I mean, come on, this is 21st century. And uh, then I looked up, uh, I was like, okay, it's on VidAngel, but we used to have VidAngel, but that's kind of defunct, but, um, well, not, I mean, not exactly, but it's not well, the way it's still it going, was. obviously. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're funding this show. So it is, it is a VidAngel production. Right. So otherwise I'm not as familiar with that service. Okay. Yeah. So VidAngel used to be a, an app that you could watch any movie. That's right. They were the ones filters. who would bleep out the stuff. Yeah. They, they right. would appoint the uh, the goyim <laughs> to yeah. go through and push the elevator doors on the Sabbath so you didn't have to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they bleep out all the bad words. And then, like, I believe the joke was, you know, that, like, Deadpool 2 uh, was five minutes long after yeah. they finished with it. And Game of Thrones was 90 seconds long. Uh, well, here's something, and here's something you may not know, is that you could <laughs> you could bleep out all references to Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Now that's funny. And I did yeah. like their ads. Like they seem to be self-aware about it. Yeah. And we should, uh, we, we should have another episode sometime about um, the, the wisdom or uh, lack thereof of a, uh, of a, of a bleeping, of a bleep show, of <laughs> a bleeping, yeah. uh, bleep of service like that. But we, we love VidAngel because there were so many movies from our childhood, from Naomi and I, that we wanted to show our kids, but we're like, yeah, I remember a lot of really troubling stuff being in this and I can't remember where it is and I don't want to watch it twice. So, Hey, VidAngel can just mute it for me, which was great. Which, uh, yeah, anyway, I hope they, they come back even more powerful than before. But I, so anyway, I went to the VidAngel app and it's not on there. And I, or at least I didn't, it wasn't at the time. And I thought, okay, how am I supposed to watch this digitally? And it's not in iTunes and you can't buy it on Amazon digital, which by the way, Dallas Jenkins, if you're listening, please put this on iTunes. I will buy it on every device or whatever. But here was the cool thing, Stephen. It's on an app for free. Yeah, so the chosen.tv. Exactly. Yeah. So you get the app. You can watch all the episodes for free. And I thought, this is too good. Like, uh, who does this? And again, and then I'm like, why aren't they putting this on iTunes? Well, it's so that you can you can buy it and support it digitally if you want through the app, which is a really unique approach they're taking for the fundraising for this. And that is completely crowdfunded. And that is how they funded season two, which is so smart. Now they're not tied to a studio or they're, they're not tied to like a traditional TV broadcast studio. And they have to get ratings to get the next episode or season funded. And they have to make certain creative choices to get those ratings. Like, I love just the integrity of how they are paid because every TV show has to be paid for somehow. So it's either paid by ratings, which are dictated by a lot of things, or it's paid by the fans. And I, I love this. It It's almost like the entire thing is fan fiction of the, the uh, disciples lives. So way to go chosen. No, it really is. And it is very popular level in that regard. I mean, uh, the streaming dramas have definitely cut out some of the bureaucracy that was previously involved uh, with getting a TV show approved and made and then formatted just specifically so you could stick the ads right in the middle, which kind of tends to interrupt the viewing experience. We now see in retrospect, uh, the chosen episodes are not like that. It's like each one is a small movie. Uh, it's serialized. So you start out with the story and then each episode, while standing pretty well alone, continues the story. It is very modern in that feel. Uh, but you find that it actually lends really well to the Gospels as opposed to, say, a movie uh, that tries to do Jesus' ministry on earth, the greatest hits, you know, some of the best miracles. And then you know, it tends to be you know, like the Gospels, like coming across a little more fragmented. 
but a streaming drama allows you to pick up with Peter's story and then jump over and see how Matthew is doing and then go over to Mary Magdalene, who's experiencing some recovery from her trauma. What's going on with her? And it is an ensemble cast. You don't just stay with Jesus the whole time and then see everyone else in the background. When we go to Peter's wife, uh, Eden, uh, we follow her story and several of the other apostles that are some a little bit more in the background and some a little bit more in the foreground. But one thing I like that Jenkins said is that he wanted to move past kind of the assumption of previous biblical dramas where there's only, what does he said? There's only a few apostles. There's, he said, there's three apostles. There's Peter, there's Judas, and then there's all the others. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> they've given them specific personalities and we can get into that in a moment. Uh, real quick, before we get to our sponsored segment though, Zach, I'm curious, how does this compare, do you think, to other Bible shows that you've seen? Like it's been years since I've seen some of the older ones. Like people talk about King of Kings or Jesus of Nazareth. You know, some of those have the infamous white bearded saintly Jesus, you know, who hovers uh, two centimeters above the ground or seems to, at least in his uh, portrayal. Ben Hur doesn't show Jesus at all, probably out of uh, some measure of respect for uh, some people's belief in whether or not you can even show Jesus in a movie. Uh, have you seen any of those? I, I just, I can't remember. Yeah. So I, I've seen Ben Hur. I really love that. I, it, okay. This is going to sound really weird, but I like that Jesus is a side character in Ben Hur. And what I mean by that no, is me too. the story is about Ben Hur and then this pivotal moment where Jesus changes his life. But it's you, you get to actually meet Ben Hur. It's not just like, here's a story about Jesus and Ben Hur. It's, it's very much about how Jesus changed this man's life because you see the before and the after. The biblical shows that I'm most familiar with that have come out in recent years, well, kind of recent years, it's made by the Visual Bible. It's the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Matthew. So it just takes you straight through the Gospel word for word and portrays it fairly well. I think the Matthew one came out first and then the John one came out. I did. I've seen the Gospel of John. Is that the three hour one uh, narrated by Christopher Plummer? It's a it's a different Bible translation they use, like a one I'm not too familiar with. It's more of a, a simpler translation yeah, of scripture. I, I believe so. But yeah, again, it's it's word for word. So it's it's the entire gospel. The Jesus in the Gospel of John is played by I, I can't think of the guy's name, but it's the guy who played Desmond in Lost, which was that's funny. I kept waiting for him to say, Okay, brother. You know, in his, uh, was it his Irish accent or whatever, uh, or his UK accent? I'm sorry. I, I don't know accents at all. But the Gospel of Matthew was really interesting, Stephen. Naomi and I watched that, and Jesus in that smiled so much, and he, and he laughed, and it's almost like he was making little jokes, you know, whenever the text would kind of allow it. Uh, again, they, they were just faithful. They're just, just the text of the Gospel of Matthew. But we got to the end of that when he's crucified and Naomi was crying and she's like, I don't want this Jesus to die. And I thought that's exactly how I feel. Like I, I felt like an actual connection to this portrayal of Jesus that I don't often feel in movies. Now that, that little moment we had was kind of a foretaste of what we've experienced over and over in the chosen that we see a Jesus who's joyful, who's personable, who you know, makes these little jokes that you can just see this joy bubbling up in him. And, you know, and, I, and I'm already getting set up now. I'm like, oh my goodness, this Jesus is going to get crucified. Like, I don't want to see that happen. In so many portrayals, he's just so stoic. Yeah, I, I just know that's really going to hit hard when we get to that point. Right. I like to the uh, version of Jesus played. I, I, I 
want to know these actors' names, you know, so I can give them as men credit for portraying Jesus. They are men, and we have to make that very clear. They are guys in a costume who are trained to act. Uh, some people can get kind of attached to these guys and then maybe gets a little weird. And that's why some Christians are uncomfortable with even showing Jesus in a movie. I myself don't have that problem, but I can understand that some do. But the guy who played Jesus in uh, Risen was also very good. He just, he, 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 I think that these actors understand that Jesus needs to come across as warm and attractive in, in that emotional way, but nonetheless Firm. Jesus proclaimed the truth as well as showed grace. Uh, it wasn't just the Pharisees he was yelling at. He would challenge the people directly to their faces with tough, fierce metaphors like you better cut your right arm off better to do that than to sin. It'd be better to cut your out your eye rather than sin. And gross stuff like that he would say, and yet he somehow found a following anyway. Some people were wanting free stuff. And then others were captivated by his message and also wanted some magically multiplied loaves and fishes. I'm sorry, miraculously multiplied loaves <laughs> and fishes. Yeah, people, people love the version of Jesus in The Chosen. And I, I actually very much look forward and I hope that they will get to the point of being able to portray uh, the Passion Week and his crucifixion and resurrection. That is the plan. Uh, we just need to hope that this show can gain more followers who are serious about putting their money uh, where their fandom is. Well, yeah, as you mentioned at the beginning, we are not sponsored by The Chosen, so we actually have our own sponsor today. Uh, why don't you tell us about that, Stephen? Yes, indeed, our sponsor, and I really hope I pronounce his name correctly. We try to get the pronunciations, but, you know, every once in a while. Uh, our sponsor today is Nathan Lumbatis with Daniel and the Serpent's Abyss. He's a fantasy author, and this is actually book three in his fantasy series called Sons and Daughters. And we actually featured him a few times on the Speculative Faith blog. This is the description of the book, quote, Six months after returning from their adventures in Daniel and the Triune Quest, Daniel, Ben, and Siren eagerly await their mission to save Raylan and acquire the last weapon of power, the Abyssal Staff. Daniel can't believe his luck when Gabriella shows up and declares she will guide them to the British Isles, where Raylan has been haunting ancient ruins in her frenetic search for more spiritual power. When the group is transported to Ireland, however, everything goes wrong. Raylan, driven mad by the possessing power of the Void Blade, is as powerful as several demons combined. Saren, desperate to save her sister, impulsively starts an explosive battle to bind her, a decision that turns the entire quest on his head and drives Daniel to a point of desperation he never anticipated. Through it all, the three are noticeably absent and quiet, not answering prayers or sending aid. What's worse, Gabriella seems distant and preoccupied, so much for Daniel's hopes for improving their relationship. Daniel and the Serpent's Abyss is a young adult Christian fantasy novel exploring forgiveness, faith, and the empowering role of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. It is the third in the Sons and Daughters series, which includes Daniel and the Sun Sword and Daniel and the Triune Quest. You can learn more about Daniel and the Serpent's Abyss in the show notes. We'll have a link to the book and to the publisher website. Our thanks again to the sponsor for this episode. If you are a new listener to the show, please subscribe on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. We'd really appreciate that. And if you have seen The Chosen, we'd love to hear your opinion about the show. So let us know. Send us a message to podcast at lorehaven.com. Let us know how it compared to your other shows you've watched or your expectations. 
And what did you like about the portrayal of Jesus in this, especially? And who is your favorite chosen character? So, Stephen, I think that's going to be a big thing I want to ask you about, too. Who did you like? Oh, I can't pick a favorite. You can't pick a favorite. <laughs> uh, look, some of them, they emphasize more than others uh, at this point, but they're all just so darn likable. We haven't even met all of the apostles yet. I would say, though, and this has been a topic of some mild controversy among some of the fans, but probably my favorite follower character is uh, Mary Magdalene. Uh, mm. They have her tagging along with the apostles, which is, I would say, not unbiblical, folks. The scripture emphasizes that Jesus had a specially designated set called the Twelve, who were his designated apostles. One of them, Judas, of course, would later betray him. Spoiler alert. But multiple times in scripture, it lists other people following along also. And we know that Mary was in there somewhere. And there was at least two, two different women, maybe three named Mary. It was apparently a very popular name among that generation. And I don't have a problem throwing in a female character who is biblical. And particularly because of her story in that very first episode with that absolutely beautifully devastating finale of that first episode that made me an instant fan as if I wasn't already. I like having her along and I love how she is portrayed. And I, I love that balance of, you know, making sure you know we have a woman in the cast who is there not just as a you know, throwaway quota type thing, uh, but also showing, you know, that they're respecting her, but she's still a woman in first mm -hmm. century Israel. You know, they, they, they seem to hit that balance really well. So I don't know. I, I might rank her as my favorite, but of course, you know, I'm, obligated as a Christian to say that Jesus is my favorite. <laughs> uh, I really like Nicodemus. Um, I, I won't spoil the arc that he goes on, but I really appreciate how much they thought that through and, and how much his story arc interacts with Mary Magdalene. And that, that was surprising and it was very interesting. And yeah, we'll get into that about that's kind of a creative interpretation. But Nicodemus, you know, we see him in John 3 and he's visiting Jesus at night, and he's asking all these questions, and he's not sure what to think. And then we see him in John 21, I'll have to go back and look this, but when Joseph of Arimathea comes to Pilate to ask for Jesus' body, Nicodemus is there with him. He just shows up again in the biblical narrative in the right. book of John. Yeah, we, we don't see him in the middle, maybe once or twice, maybe, where he's debating with the Pharisees over what to do with Jesus. Yeah, and there, there were some Pharisees that were yeah arguing and kicked out, and so uh, because they plotted to kill Jesus, and they also plotted to kill Lazarus. I want to think that was Nicodemus's final straw with the Pharisees. We'll see if that's what happens in the show. But he's a really interesting character because we don't really see how he changes in the text. And so The Chosen has taken creative liberty to show that, and I, I think they do it beautifully. All right. The creative liberty is something that viewers of The Chosen or those interested in the genre of biblical fiction and understanding it according to its own rules, uh, we really need to pay attention to that concept and be very careful with that. That's the next item I had on our, our outline here is just the reminder of what the chosen is and what biblical fiction is. But we start actually by saying what it is not. And I list that here and I've written some about this for a future document of some kind, just based on a lot of the responses I've seen in the fan groups. Uh, where people are discovering the chosen or discovering biblical fiction, but because they haven't thought as much about what biblical fiction or fiction altogether is supposed to be and what its expectations are, they are faulting the series or being confused about the series 
because they're expecting it to be a sermon or nonfiction. And so I see the same questions come up over and over again. Why did you make the character this way? Like, wait a minute, this isn't in the Bible. You know, we don't know if Nicodemus and Mary Magdalene ever met. No, that's not in the Bible. Why did you choose to make the character like this? Like, that's, that's not in the Bible. Those are fine questions, but that's where it's important to understand that biblical fiction is not meant to be the Bible. It's not a replacement for the scripture. It is not a sermon or a textbook about the scripture. And uh, unless you're the, uh, the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Matthew movies you were talking about, Biblical fiction is not an exact verse-by-verse -verse reenactment of Scripture. Finally, it's not always focused on the historical figures like Jesus or Mary or the Apostle Paul. Zach, earlier you were talking about Ben-Hur. Judah Ben-Hur is a completely made-up guy. When I was uh, growing up, I enjoyed these uh, animated series uh, made for Christian kids mostly, which cast modern characters you know, who were propelled back in time uh, to experience these uh, these biblical narratives alongside the biblical heroes. So our modern characters there were the heroes, and then the biblical heroes were the side characters. But you could then see the biblical heroes, the real figures, through the modern characters' eyes. And that's kind of what The Chosen and other... I think the, really the best biblical fiction does what you said, Zach, is it makes Jesus into almost a side character, mm -hmm. not because he's less important. Jesus is the hero of the story, but because when we are looking at Jesus through that uh, medium of visual entertainment, of visual storytelling, then sometimes what you see less of actually becomes better, becomes more important, more pivotal. But you're also seeing him through a human level, which viewing this through the lens of the biblical doctrine of the incarnation, that's the only way you could see Jesus was as a person. Uh, you're not as much emphasizing his divine attributes, some of which uh, I believe the Bible says he, he laid aside temporarily. You can only see him as a person, which, by the way, if we were getting into the whole debate over whether or not you can even show Jesus, I would point to that as a support that you can, because you're not supposed to see the entire Godhead, the Trinity, when you see Jesus incarnate, you only see a man. Someone who's watching a picture of Jesus like that just needs to have that support of Scripture for the entire Trinity and all of God's nature in the back of their head. Well, and there's a very simple reason for this is that, okay, this is going to sound so bad, but you can't relate to Jesus. So in, in, in what I mean by this in a movie, a, a movie is meant for you to relate to a flawed character you know, that has goals, that has obstacles, that has struggles, that has, you know, sins. And Jesus had none of those. You shouldn't be able to relate to Jesus. If someone tried right. to reboot G. Oh, well, this character is like Superman. He's just too perfect. Yeah. He's got too many powers. Like, no, Superman, if you do him right, is a, is a flawed but struggling true hero. And yes, he is absolutely relatable. I will die on this hill. <laughs> Hashtag release the Snyder cut, but with <laughs> and we're releasing it. But with Jesus, yeah, you you he has to be uh, not not impassable because God is impassable. That's one of his attributes. He is not affected by emotions. But Jesus, right. as a man, would be tired. Uh, he never once sinned, but he was tempted in every way as we are. Uh, the apostle says later, yet without sin. Like, there's the empathy. There, he is not a distant you know icon. Uh, that we can only gaze upon him from afar. And The Chosen does really great showing how human Jesus is. The fans love it for that reason. But yeah, you, you have to see Jesus through the vantage of a character who is more like the traditional hero, flawed, 
sinful, you know, with a goal to pursue and obstacles that get in the way. And that's why this series and others, uh, like actually um, my other favorite is Risen, which mm-hmm. uh, stars uh, Joseph Fiennes as a centurion named Clavius. He's flawed. He's, he's a heathen. He's, he's a noble Roman soldier, but, you know, he worships uh, Jupiter and the, and the Roman pantheon. And yet he stumbles into this uh, investigation as to what happened to the body of Jesus. And by the way, I think all of Risen, uh, obviously with different casts, is in canon with The Chosen right now interesting <laughs> yeah cool. all, all all good biblical fiction like that especially if it touches on different eras uh is in canon like if you wanted to you could make the prince of egypt in canon with the with the chosen well yeah because at the end of the day who are you going to relate to more peter or mary or jesus you or know, matthew just, yeah yeah right it, it's um gosh I, I can just see this getting taken out of context or whatever but we are humans, and so we are going to relate to another human more easily than the God-man, Jesus, who, yes, he was human, but yes, he was God. And so he accomplished everything he set out to do. He was perfect. And it's in, in, a, in a movie, it's hard to relate to a character like that. It's just like, oh, you know, we, we did our series about um, what were the top articles of last year on, on speculative faith, and one of them was about how Captain Marvel really disappointed people is because she's too perfect. She gets everything she wants and she, you know, she has basically no obstacles in her path. And that kind of character doesn't really work in on the screen. You need to see characters struggle. And that's what we definitely see with Nicodemus. And when, when he's struggling to decide what to do with Jesus and what we see with Peter and, and the conflicts that Peter goes through, uh, Mary Magdalene's conflict happens very early on in the series. Peter's conflict really stretches for most of the first season. And so I I love that because I can put myself in any of their shoes and relate it to different things in my life. Well, the genius, too, in the way that they have plotted season one, and presumably they'll be doing a lot more of this in season two, is in filling in the backstories of these heroes, the the apostles or those who you know, others who follow Jesus, like Nicodemus or Mary Magdalene in their different ways. I believe the word that the creators used is backfill. They start with the scripture and then based solely on what they see in the gospels and with a lot of references to the Old Testament, by the way, these folks are not just doing Bible stories. They're doing the entire meta narrative of redemption across both Old and New Testaments. They're taking what they see in the New Testament about Peter or Mary Magdalene or Nicodemus or Matthew and their professions and what we know about their families that is mentioned there. And they say, okay, let's backfill. Let's develop their backstories and their conflicts based on what we see. For example, not to get too much into spoilers here, but I love the Peter story because it's not just in in The Chosen. It's not just that Peter and Andrew really wanted to catch some fish and then they couldn't. And then Jesus shows up and yay, they got some fish. There's a lot riding on that one catch in the Chosen's version of the story. If Peter doesn't catch these fish, he could lose everything because he has been doing some shady deals, trying to support his wife and trying to figure out how exactly to interact with the Romans. And there's this subplot uh, involving whether or not people are allowed to fish on the Sabbath. And Peter is kind of, well, he's being shady. He's being brash and a little bit, uh, well, fishy, actually, you might say. And and I, I love that. That part is not against scripture, though. 
it aligns with what we see in the scripture, which the best biblical fiction will do as a genre. Biblical fiction is set in the biblical times. It involves these characters uh, and it, it definitely needs to interface with the plot lines and the people that we meet in scripture. If it's good biblical fiction, uh, otherwise you get something like uh, Noah, the movie that was basically an Elseworld version of the flood. I think some people were entirely too harsh with it. It's not the biblical Noah. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a different uh, universe where something like that story happens and God is involved and then, and then some weirdness ensues with rock monsters and stuff. Uh, the Chosen is definitely on the more biblical side of things. But like any biblical fiction, what you expect from biblical fiction is it usually adds situations, people, or events that we don't read about in Scripture. And then some biblical fiction will even change around the order of events sometimes. One of my favorite examples is The Prince of Egypt, uh, which uh, has the Pharaoh and Moses be brothers. Well, that's not, that's not mentioned in Scripture that they have that relationship. I believe it's similar in the Ten Commandments. Uh, in The Prince of Egypt, they're on great terms with each other. They're best, uh, they're best buds. Uh, whereas in Ten Commandments, they're rivals. But in Prince of Egypt, when Moses kills the Egyptian soldier who is abusing one of the Hebrews, uh, the Pharaoh, his brother, uh, catches up with him and says, hey, this is no big deal. We can take care of this. You know, I'm going to be the Pharaoh. I'm in charge of this nation. We're just going to take care of it. And Moses says, no, we can't do that. I'm actually one of them. And then Moses leaves. Well, that's not in Scripture. And it's actually contrary to the Scripture where it says that the Pharaoh wanted to kill Moses. So. A few details changed there, but so far, Zach, I haven't found anything that the chosen changes that just add things in between, like the expanded origin story for Mary Magdalene or the, the Peter plot that I've already mentioned. And then famously, Matthew has so many fans because they, they, mm -hmm. they took, you, you can say more about that. They took what personality we get from Matthew and the fact that he was a tax collector. They took that from the Bible and they said, okay. What if he is very good with numbers and so good, in fact, that he actually could be said to be on the autism spectrum? You know, what if he's socially awkward and has trouble meeting eye contact with people, but is brilliant and then confronts this miracle that Jesus does and it doesn't fit into his rational system. So he has no choice but to follow him or even the yeah. idea of Jesus meeting the little children uh, back in his ministry. Like that's not in scripture. These people are not in scripture, but everything that Jesus says aligns with the gospel aligns with what he says in the new Testament. And it's not anti-biblical. It is extra biblical, very big difference there. Yeah. Uh, Matthew is so interesting. All the other characters even kind of comment, you're a little weird, aren't you? <laughs> you're a little off, aren't you? You know, they did two things with them. They made him a tax collector, which already makes him an outcast. And then they made him kind of a social outcast. But in the same token, it gives you a lot of compassion for someone in today's world who finds himself in that same situation and on the autism spectrum or some other kind of, you know, social outcast. But yeah, we love Matthew. Like my, my kids and I, we, we loved every scene he's in. There's memes now with Matthew. and. I, I've seen a lot of fan discussion about him, so that was cool. But I think you're right, Stephen, that, that what this does is it fills in the gaps and it it just kind of imagines, well, why would this catch of fish be so important? Were they having money problems? You know, and why were they having money problems? What how could that be related to the tax system? They were all under this, you know, crushing tax burden from the Romans, which is why 
you know, they're asking Jesus, well, should we pay taxes to Caesar? You know, and this became a flashpoint between Jesus and the Pharisees. So you, you have to kind of sit there and imagine, well, you know, what was going on and what, what did this look like day to day and, and how were their lives being affected and, and then being upended when Jesus walks into the middle of all this? Because Stephen, I think something we often do with the Bible is we kind of over-spiritualize every single thing that happens Amen. in their, in their lives. And we forget that these were just normal people going about their normal lives and Jesus walked into those lives. We have to remember that, that they were just like us having the same struggles of paying the bills or a family member who's sick or just anxiety about politics. You know, there's so many things that we can relate to in their lives, even though it's 20 centuries removed. I mean, yes, they were very different than us. They were first century, they were Jewish, but so many of the ordinary things, the boring things of our lives are shown in this adaptation. So the, the scene with the little children is so much fun though, Stephen, our, our kids just, just totally love that. When (laughs) there's this one little girl that brings all of her friends to meet Jesus kind of one by one. And it's almost like they're sneaking out to see like, I I don't know, like some performer or something like a magician or something, but you know, it's just Jesus. He's just there and he's, he's making things out of wood. He's a carpenter and he makes little gifts for them. And we had this moment though. We're like, okay, it is a little weird that they're just beating this guy in the middle of nowhere. But it is Jesus, you know, he's not, it's not stranger danger or whatever. No, true. And it is another culture as well. You know, maybe that would yeah. not have been as scary for them as it would be for us. It was, you know, despite the fact that they're under Roman occupation and there's, you know, strangers coming through and people from other nations that, you know, maybe they would be prejudiced against or rightfully wary of either way. It, it is Jesus. He is speaking the truth. He is affirming the children's parents, by the way, which I loved. Wow. Oh. Zach, they actually get it right where Jesus affirms the law. This isn't your postmodern, uh, you know, uh, neutered to make him more friendly for modern ears, Jesus. Some people think that, oh, the chosen is messing up Jesus by making him crack jokes or be a, a joyous person, even when he's engaging with his opponents in rhetoric. But this Jesus affirms the law. He is, he's, he's not saying, Oh, that, that crushing burdensome law. You know, I'm here to set you free from that. I'm the good cop. And, you know, Moses is the bad cop. Like that's nonsense. They're very careful in showing and not just telling how Jesus comes to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. And they're showing, not just telling what Jesus himself specifically said in his sermon on the Mount, even for the kids, like he's speaking to them on their level and he's, he's just the friendliest, most compassionate person ever. And it's a foreshadowing of the biblical scene where Jesus is welcoming the children and then encouraging the frowning spiritual grown-ups. Let the little children come to me. The kingdom is made of such of these. Yes, you need to have a grown-up's head, but a child's heart. Okay, so I got to ask you something here. The scene where Jesus turns water into wine and they're having a big old wine celebration at this uh, wedding banquet. What, well, what did you think of, of that? Many a social media <laughs> post uh, from the uh, pro and anti uh, teetotaler side. <laughs> yes, that boy. That so I I'm not a teetotaler. I don't really drink alcohol for a lot of reasons. But that man, I had to really think about that. I'm just like, okay, well, yeah, alcohol was a thing, and. It, yeah, okay, I don't oh, know a whole lot we're about gonna alcohol. get letters about these. Yes, I know. 
but uh, it can be abused, folks. It is it is a good gift yeah. gone bad. Alcohol can go bad because human hearts are bad. Jesus specifically <laughs> said in Mark seven about food. I think we can also apply it to a being about drink that it doesn't matter so much what you put into your body, but what comes out. Sin starts in the heart. It is not a matter of an evil, uh, demonically or sin-charged substance that you put into yourself from outside. But it is dangerous. But here, uh, it's fun. They're using it for feasting, and it is an occasion of joy, a unification between two people, a man and a woman known to Jesus' mother. Like I love that episode. I was looking forward to it uh, as soon as we started the, the last half of season one, and it did not disappoint. Well, and we we see something really clear in this, by the way, listener, is that the wine that Jesus made, okay, it affects people, but there's no debauchery. No, all right. This is not like a college party that happens where there's just wild. No, stuff you're just you're laughing on. a little bit more than usual. Yeah. Like maybe your inhibitions a little down. You don't feel so self-important that you can't get up and dance in a circle. Which, ah, uh, no, no spoilers. It's too much fun. <laughs> it, it's too much fun. It's too much we're, fun. We're, we might be hitting some, you know, some trigger words here for uh, people, but um, yeah, that that was really interesting. Again, I just I felt like I was right there with them. I felt like, oh, this is such a fun wedding. I'm so glad I got to attend. Again, another real life thing that these characters were experiencing. You, know, you said something earlier, Stephen, that uh, something about this being like an expansive or an immersive experience. I I had the same experience watching this that I've had watching The Mandalorian. Which is with every Star Wars movie, I'm like, man, there's so much going on. This is such a huge world. And the Mandalorian kind of explores that, kind of slows it down. Less and is lets, more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And le- lets you just experience little glimpses of that in just more detail and just spending more time on this planet or that starship or whatever. And that's how I felt with The Chosen that I get to just slow down and see what Capernaum is like or, or see what. The Sea of Galilee is like, or see what this wedding banquet is like. So that's what I love about it is that I get to spend more time in that world. And we'll get to spend even more time, uh, God willing, uh, if season two comes to pass. Uh, Zach, one note before I move on to our our last question here about uh, what language we use to describe those positive reactions to The Chosen or biblical fiction or any other stories we love. This show is made by geeks. It is very clear. Like they even have at one point they caught a, an image of Jesus in the show and the actor was on a podcast joking about, oh, oh this is my Jedi pose. You know, like I've got the hood on and I totally look like uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Jedi. You just need to Photoshop in a lightsaber, which probably some fans <laughs> have done. And I may have seen it or maybe I just made it up. Dallas Jenkins himself is clearly a very a nerdy sort of guy. The marketing and even in the social media at this stage uh, feels very homespun. And occasionally that gets them into trouble uh, they had an image of jesus like with the tie-dye background and like joking about oh, wow. you know whether or not he, he looks like he's uh smoking something he shouldn't and that got them into trouble <laughs> just oh, a little wow. bit and then yeah. other fans they'll rightly push back and they say wait a minute this is not showing disrespect to jesus this is an actor he, he is is just a man a very talented creative man and a professing christian himself but you've got to be careful like this show can be made fun of it can be deconstructed or praised because it is made by humans. It is not scripture. It's biblical fiction. You can, you can have fun with that. And for example, you asked earlier, Zach, I just have to get this out. You asked earlier, who's my favorite character? Okay, I said, I said Mary Magdalene for, from the spiritual journey perspective. 
But from the just having fun perspective, I wish I knew this actor's name, but he's the man who plays a Quintus, the Roman soldier. Mm, The reason why I love him so much is he literally talks like Q from Star Trek The Next Generation. (laughs) Oh, Matthew, you're so peculiar. Like at the moment, (laughs) I suspect him to say, oh, come now, Picard. Have a little fun. <laughs> yeah, he was great. Hello, Worf. Eat any good books lately? Yeah, he's just, he sneers. <laughs> and yet he's, I mean, he's, some people have said, okay, this, this guy seems like he's coming from a completely different show, but he's having so much fun. And he, it's important to have that kind of levity in the show. Or otherwise, the critics would come along and say, this is taking itself entirely too seriously. And that actor, it turns out, I did some checking on him because I'm like, is he related to John DeLancey? Like, what? This actor has actually done anime dubs, including for several series that I watch, uh, but I, I don't watch the dubs. I watch the subs because I'm one of those. But I think that's hilarious because he's basically playing a very subdued anime villain. And I think he seems to recognize that. And it just it's, it's another moment that makes the show just really fun to watch uh, on top of all the genuinely serious and biblical content we could explore. One little moment I loved in I can't remember which episode this is. It's where Jesus meets with Nicodemus and John and his brother James are sitting outside the area where, where they're meeting. And James is like, did you hear what he just said? And John has a little notebook and he's, he's writing down everything it said. And he's like, shh. <laughs> and it, it's like, oh yeah, John was writing down the gospel of John as this was happening. I was looking for that because one of those little things I love to do while reading the scripture is to ask from an apologetics and an imagination perspective, how do we know this? For example, in that terrible thing that happened with Lot in the cave after Sodom was destroyed, (laughs) we know that all scriptures God breathed and that God inspired the process, but because God is not so spiritual as to just hand down the Bible, you know, just morph it out of thin air in the form of a scroll or something. He works by divinely moving the human authors of scripture. So those human authors had to gain that knowledge, like maybe in a supernatural way, but you know, maybe they got it from examining written records or from talking to those who were there. So I always like to ask, how do we know that this happened with lot in the cave or what Nebuchadnezzar think was thinking or any of that. And it's fun to kind of try to spy how the record could have been transmitted and then realize, for example, with the book of Jonah, that the only way we could have known what was going on, what Jonah was saying in the belly of the fish, Jonah was the only one there. This book had to have been written or, you know, at least the result of an interview with Jonah, meaning that Jonah was perfectly fine. It seems and having the book of Jonah go out with that cliffhanger ending, not knowing whether or not Jonah repented of mm-hmm. his sin of hatred against uh, Israel's enemies uh, in Nineveh. I would say that, yes, he did. And then not only that, but he let that book get out there with that cliffhanger ending and was okay to decrease in order that God might look better through that story. So it's it's fun to see then in the fictional form that I don't know if it's an intentional decision, but they seem to be building in those avenues for the transmission of the human records that would eventually be collected uh, or the result of interviews and then form uh, at least one of the four Gospels, in that case, uh, John. And then uh, I think, was it scholars say that uh, Mark probably talked with Peter a lot just because Peter figures a lot into uh, that that narrative. Mm-hmm. And then Matthew clearly uh, being a a record keeper 
it also works. I guess eventually we'll meet Luke as well, and he'll probably start talking with them and start putting his notes together to eventually form into his uh, letter to Theophilus. Well, Stephen, the other scene where we see the Bible being written, well, it's actually more than one scene, but it happens a lot with Matthew. And there's this verse that from the book of Matthew that we see Jesus saying out loud in the chosen, and it's Matthew 13, 52. And it says, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven brings out of his treasure things new and old. And I've heard this verse brought up before. Uh, actually, I think it's Chase Replico on Pastor Writer Podcast. He said, this is like the verse for writers. As a writer, you're, you're bringing things out old and new, especially as a pastor, he says, like, you can't just say, oh, here's a new thing you've never heard before. Because, you know, the Bible's been around for 2000 years. We're not going to tell you new truths that suddenly we've discovered, but we are going to discover new applications like in the modern day. And so Jesus says this verse in the show while Matthew, I believe, is writing. And I, I just love this, that there is very much a, a love given to the actual writing of the word, which brings up this question, well, what does it mean? Well, what does it mean for the Bible to be inspired? But is the chosen inspired in the similar way? I would say no. No, the chosen is not inspired. And at the risk of a Bending any uh, creative Christians out there who feel very passionate and just on fire when they're putting together the creative worlds. Uh, I've been to a few writers conferences to Zach and seen a few author profiles or, or web, uh, web references where people do seem to use this word inspired to describe the act of creating. And it gives me pause because we cannot enjoy biblical fiction according to its own expectations as a genre if we are confusing our emotional reactions to the show with the word inspired, which in theology is very important to relate that word to the inspiration of the inerrant word of God. God's word was specifically and uniquely inspired in a way that human creations are not. But what I've seen in some chosen fan groups and I just kind of suspect is out there more often is especially with Christians who are not as used to this level of powerful storytelling, the only language they have in their hearts or just in their mouths, or if they're writing a comment is the language of, oh, I, I was moved. I was inspired, you know, like you would refer to a verse of the scripture that the Holy Spirit brought to your mind. Like I, I was inspired to do this or, you know, motivated me to want to live holier. Like, okay, that, that sort of thing is fine. But just, just, I just think it's very important to be very careful that we do not confuse the two. Creativity and imagination are important, but they are not inspired in the way that God inspired the Holy Scripture. The Chosen is a very powerfully made show uh, in regards scripture highly as we've been talking about. It has also appealed to many different types of Christians, you know, folks more familiar with fiction and folks less familiar with fiction and folks with different theological backgrounds. There's a sizable contingent of Catholic chosen fans. I guess they haven't found anything in the show, even though it's made by folks on the other side of the Tiber. They haven't found anything in the show that they would disagree with. The only folks who would disagree with would be uh, what's known as the 2CV Christians. That, that is the uh, second commandment violation. They think that any any picture of not just God, the Father, who isn't meant to be shown, mm -hmm. but Jesus, who showed himself. Like they say any picture of Jesus is uh, dubious at best. 
uh, lots of Christians like it. And then that means that you get different Christians who have different emotional languages uh, responding to the chosen. It's very important to study as we try to do on fantastical truth and is part of the whole Lorehaven project. And there's many great Christian authors and apologists who are also on top of this. It's very important to understand that God's gift of human imagination is not the same as God's gift of biblical inspiration. With the Bible, God, the Holy Spirit moved. God breathed is the, is the word used in, uh, I believe it's in Second uh, Timothy, to describe the inspiration of the Bible. That is not the same way that the Holy Spirit influences us to make a show or a screenplay or a poem or a novel or a painting, something like that. That is a normal act of human creativity that, yes, God has given that. And in some way, the Holy Spirit is active in that because the Holy Spirit is active in our lives to make us more like Jesus. But our words are not like the words of Scripture. And people will say, oh, that, but, but I, I, it feels so, so powerful. It's like, I, I can't stop. Like, yes, that is the amazing nature of the human imagination, uh, the creativity that God has given. It does reflect God's creativity, but it is not the same as the inspiration of the Holy Scripture. God's blessings will move us to happiness, and there are good feelings associated with that. But we have to make sure, as uh, the Adventures and Odyssey series used to teach me, be careful not to let your imagination run away with you. I used to laugh at that phrase and wonder why they thought it was so moral. Now I understand that actually is a valuable moral lesson that not just kids, but Christian adults need to recognize. Like The guy who plays Jesus in The Chosen is not actually Jesus. He is not mm -hmm. super, he's not a super saint for portraying Jesus and portraying him very well. The actors, the creators of that show are very talented and we need to pray for them and thank God for them, but they are not super Christians because they made a show. They just had the blessing of being able to cultivate those raw talents and develop them and get the skills and work with each other and find support to make a show like this. They can awaken those longings for some kind of amazing, even familial creative environment where there seem to be no limits and everything is possible, but only Jesus himself, the real one, can fulfill those longings. That goes double, especially if uh, there were non-Christians involved with this show, as there have to be. Any Christian-made project, even if it's a Christian funding or the director is a Christian, or even if all the actors are Christians, like they're going to be non-Christians in there too. And we ought not be bothered by that. Non-Christians can be used in God's world to make good and even Christian-made things. Like pray for them. Maybe they'll get saved as a result of the project, or at least God may use it to move in their lives in some way. Which really, I guess that's where I'd like to start wrapping up is like, I just really want to pray for the guys and gals making The Chosen and putting together season two, especially in a very difficult season. Dallas Jenkins actually, he filmed a video of himself on somebody's farm, I think, where there was a thunderstorm rolling in. And uh, he said at the beginning, hey guys, I want to bear my soul a little bit. You know, this is the farm where we shot the original short film for my church called The Shepherd, uh, which is set uh, just before Christ's birth. And this is, uh, you know, came at a very difficult time of life when I wanted to do this. And instead I ended up doing the chosen and we've got a lot of decisions ahead of us for season two. And then afterwards they announced there was going to be a second season. So really want to pray for this project, like, uh, cause it has, it has the possibility of not just getting a lot of people saved because I'd be perfectly happy if only Christians who were already saved watched this show. And as a result, 
were awakened to the genuine power, not inspiration, but creative imagination. That kind of power is in a show like this. And that kind of power is going to help the church to engage with each other and with the world because it's not just sermons and nonfiction that help us understand more of who God is and what the gospel is, but it is these kinds of stories, even fantastical stories, that help us to feel those truths and beauties. There's a verse that came up over and over again in my mind as we were watching this as a family, which was, he does not break a bruised reed. Talking about Jesus. And I saw that played out over and over again, where he's interacting with all these flawed characters who don't get it. I mean, Peter over and over again, bless his heart. He just does not get it. <laughs> he does not know what Jesus is really about. And, you know, he, he thinks it's all about fame and fortune, basically. And so that was so funny. But, you know, Peter has a lot of struggles. Matthew has a lot of struggles. Uh, Nicodemus has a lot of struggles. And Jesus is there just patiently wooing them into the kingdom. And he's, ah, gosh, it's so amazing, Stephen. He, he's so patient. And again, I see myself so often in that show of just like, man, that's me. That, that is me 100%. You know, I, I think we watched this, I don't know if it was before the pandemic or right when it started, but it was kind of in the, oh, everything's fine phase of life. And now, you know, we've gone through months of this. And I, I really want to go back and watch it now because. I've just, I've had so many low days the last couple of months where I just did not want to do anything. And just like, I've come to say lately, I hate TV church. You know, I, I hate Zoom friendships. I'm just so weary of all this, but it's beyond just the inconvenience of all that. It's man, life is really hard. And I, I just, I struggle a lot with this and I, I keep going back to that verse. He does not break a bruised reed. The, the compassion that we see portrayed through the character that plays Jesus reminds me of the real compassion that our real Savior has for us. And over and over again, it's been a great reminder. So I, I see what you're saying that I think for Christians, th this is such an encouraging story because it reminds us of the real story playing out in our own lives through our real Jesus. Amen. We're going to have more links about The Chosen should you wish to explore further, not just to watch the show yourself if you haven't already, but some of the videos about the behind the scenes and the creative origins of the show. We'll try to have a little list of that in the show notes, as well as some of the videos uh, from creator uh, Dallas Jenkins. And then our own uh, article, we actually in our summer 2020 issue of Lorehaven, uh, we adapted a previous and very popular article on the Speculative Faith blog about The Chosen from writer Cap Stewart. Uh, that's going to be linked in the show notes as well. Well, Stephen, I really enjoyed this discussion. I'm looking forward to when season two comes out and we have a lot more to talk about. Uh, listener, we may talk more about the series in the future. If there's a particular episode or a particular issue in this series you really want to hear more discussion about, let us know. This is a listener show. So send us that comment to podcast at lorehaven.com. Well, let's go and pop open the mailbag and go to our Fantastic Fans segment. So we have a note here from David who writes, quote, Hi, Stephen and Zach. Just caught up on episode 13 and 14 about the new heavens and new earth. It's cool to speculate that there will be challenges. Not sin, not laborious toil, but real challenges to overcome. Is there a series which imagines these adventures of the new earth? 
like that famous utopian painter you like to make fun of sometimes, but stories. I think they'd be great at helping us hope in God's promises more and soldier on and fight the good fight positively. Thanks for all you do and the Christian camaraderie you inspire, end quote. Uh, David, thank you so much for that comment. By the way, we, we would love it if you could leave this as a review on iTunes. That would really help us out. But thank you for writing us in. That was uh, really kind words. You know, as far as your question, is there a series kind of like Adventures of the New Earth? So I have an idea in the back of my mind for something I, I may develop one day. But the, the book you can read right now that is kind of in this regard, kind of, is the Lamb Among the Stars series, in which if you've been a listener of the show, you know this is one of my favorite series. So this is a Christian science fiction trilogy uh, published by Tyndale. It is a very different view of the end times, okay? So it is a post-millennial view. Uh, Left Behind, which we're probably all familiar with, is pre-millennial, that Jesus comes back, then the millennial kingdom is established. A post-millennial view is that the millennial kingdom is established and then Jesus comes back. So Lamb Among the Stars imagines a galactic federation of planets where Christianity rules over all completely peacefully and there's no conflict, crime, sin, poverty. It's just this kind of utopian, you know, galactic, they call it the assembly. So it's this very peaceful world, but still people are born, they die, they live and have challenges. And so now it starts at the beginning of that. It starts off with a peaceful world and then things go wrong. One thing leads to another. You get a little glimpse of that just in the beginning and then quickly things go wrong because it's a story. But I recommend you check that out. Stephen, what about you? Has anything come to mind for this question David has? Uh, Not uh, other than what you've already cited. Uh, The difficulty with any series set in a perfect world is that a story requires some measure of conflict, at least per the naturally occurring expectations we have now. We mentioned earlier that it's difficult to make Jesus into a main character because although he has challenges to overcome, uh, he has no flaws. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, So he's difficult to empathize with directly in a story. And so it would also be difficult to set a story in heaven or in the new heavens and new earth uh, where the glory of the Lord has filled the earth as the waters cover the sea. There may be some ways around that. I may have found one or two that we'll talk about in the future at some indeterminate point. Uh, But of course, it's also would be very difficult to set a story in that era without crossing some major theological barriers. Uh, You know, time travel, I don't think would work as well because you still would have the entrance of like, let's say you had a story where someone today time traveled to the new heavens and new earth. Well, now you have an unclean thing outside the city and on God's holy planet and in God's made new universe that will not do theologically. So that, and the fact that you need some kind of flaw or temptation or some kind of struggle with one's own weaknesses would make that pretty difficult to pull off, uh, which is one reason, by the way, Zach, that the only Left Behind series book I do not own uh, is the final one, uh, the one that everyone forgets about called Kingdom Come. It is set during a literal thousand year uh, millennium on Earth, and there is almost no conflict whatsoever. So, of course, It's rather not as exciting as the first 12 books were because there's no plagues or anything. 
Uh, maybe in the new heavens and new earth, we'll have a series like that. Although, of course, far better just to go outside and actually make that new series live and in person. Our next note comes from Brian, who writes, quote, Hi, guys, just listened to your episodes on Narnia. I really appreciated your point of view. I especially appreciated how you tackled the whole idea of Narnia as allegory. I remember thinking that it was allegorical in junior high and having arguments with adults to that effect. After all, how could they not see the allegory? But as I grew up, one of the phrases you quoted in the first episode came to the forefront. All truth is God's truth. The reason Narnia seems allegorical is because what is true in our world is true in other worlds because of God's presence in those worlds. Why does Aslan seem allegorical to Jesus? Because the truth is no matter what realm he is in. Jesus is the high king to whom all bow a knee, who is there at the creation of the world and is willing to die to bring salvation. Why are Lucy and Susan like Mary and Martha? Because the truth is people are like Mary and Martha too. It took me years to discover this truth. Thanks for helping your listeners find it a little faster. End quote. Thank you so much for that note, Brian. And uh, this is actually, I think, your second time in the Fantastic Fans segment. I don't think we have a cap on that, do we, Zach? Uh, so even if you've already been featured on the podcast before, wrote us a really great note, feel free to send one in again. We will allow repeats. And to our listener, please send us your feedback to podcast at lorehaven.com, or you can go to lorehaven.com and find the podcast episode you want to leave feedback on. This is a listener-focused show, so we'd love to hear your feedback and what you are interested in talking about and what you would like for us to talk more about, so please send us that feedback. Next on Fantastical Truth, unless Jesus returns or we get some kind of plague, which would be par for the course in 2020, what if you didn't know you had killed your own father? Or what if you had escaped from a mysterious mountain, but you had to leave your brother behind? Novelist Sean Smucker has written books about these intriguing premises, including this summer's new novel, These Nameless Things, and he will join us to explore the edge of over there and storytelling and the kind of magical realism for which he is famous. Meanwhile, if you enjoy The Chosen or any other biblical fiction, make sure to enjoy it on its own terms. The guy playing Jesus is just an actor and we can have fun in Christ exploring what may have happened to the apostles. Make sure to keep scripture paramount and respect the inspiration of scripture and yet the imagination that God has given his people as we continue to seek and find fantastical truth. 